right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, all of our friends joining us online. Uh, would you please uh, join with me and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10. The Bible refers to our Lord Jesus Christ by uh, many different titles, uh, but perhaps the most enduring and the most intimate title is that of a shepherd. And nowhere in all of scripture is Jesus Christ more clearly portrayed as the shepherd of his people than here in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, I've been drawing your attention to the fact that uh, John chapter 9 is really the setup to John chapter 10. The context of chapter 9 is hugely important here to our understanding of this chapter as this discourse flows directly from the events that we just talked about at the end of chapter 9 last week. This is one of those texts where you really need to ignore the chapter break in your Bible as there's no gap between the end of chapter 9 and the start of chapter 10. It's still the same day. It's still the same scene. And Jesus is still speaking to the same people about the same events. Chapter 9 introduced us to a man born blind who uh, became a beggar. Jesus heals the man physically, and soon after this, the locals bring the man to the Pharisees as they're looking for some kind of comment by their religious leaders that something amazing has happened in our midst. This man who was born blind can now see, but instead of verifying an obvious, miraculous work of God, and I don't know, rejoicing with the man. These evildoers show nothing but disdain for him, and really because of their hatred of our Lord Jesus Christ. And once they realize they can't intimidate the man and into changing his story and that he would not denounce the Lord Jesus, they brand him as nothing more as a sinner from birth. And they cast him out of the synagogue. Chapter 9 then becomes a picture for us of spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. Spiritual sight is given to the beggar while spiritual blindness is the state that these religious leaders, the Pharisees, remain in. Jesus then closes the chapter by making a comparison between the two. He said in John chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. But as we zoom out and look back over at chapter 9, we see that this is far more than just a miracle story that we have all grown to love. And it's certainly a lot more than just a picture of spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. In another sense, chapter 9 wants us to notice that these religious leaders of Israel are far more than incompetent. No, far worse, they are false shepherds who do nothing but devour and fleece the people. In chapter 10, Jesus then contrasts himself to them. And in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, for those of us in the Western world, an analogy of shepherd and sheep is not necessarily too relevant to most of us because a lot of us don't live on a farm. It's not even a part of our general culture. However, for the culture of Jesus' day, instantly everyone knew what these references and analogies would have meant as shepherding had always been a familiar part of their everyday life. In the Old Testament, for example, we see that Job, one of the early patriarchs, um, had many cattle, including 7,000 sheep. And then when Solomon wanted to give the Lord a grand sacrifice for the dedication of the temple, he sacrificed on one occasion 120,000 sheep. 
In fact, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, were all shepherds, as were some of Israel's greatest leaders in Moses and David. And so, now naturally, the Bible uses this metaphor because it's so common amongst the people back then. And when you begin to understand the relationship between sheep and its shepherd, it really becomes one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible. For example, Psalm 100, verse 3, says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What a beautiful thing to know it is that you are one of his and that we have a shepherd who watches over his sheep. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, if you know anything about sheep and what the Bible says about us sheep, then you know just how important the shepherd then becomes. For example, when uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the, the suffering servant that was to come, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He says in Isaiah 53, 6, For we all are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. That pretty much sums up man's predicament. We have all sinned against a holy and righteous God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray from the good shepherd. So it's the good shepherd that then comes to seek and to save that which is lost. One of my favorite writings is from a man named Philip Keller. Um, he's a shepherd who lives in Canada. And I uh, reread the, some of the sections of his book this week. He wrote a book called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he writes of his own experience as a shepherd, and he says, sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in so many ways. Our mass mind, our mob instinct, our fears, timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. God calls us sheep because he knows people. He knows human nature. Moreover, this says a lot about the shepherd. Because it's not about, and I don't want you to walk away from this lesson thinking, I'm just a dumb sheep. <laughs> but rather, I hope you see, I have a wonderful shepherd. And that was, of course, David's thought in Psalm 23 when he said, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. The point isn't I'm just some dumb sheep. The point was a bragging point. Look at who my shepherd is. I don't need a thing. Do you see who's in control of my life? The good shepherd is in control. Because David knew from being a shepherd that the quality of life for any sheep depends on the kind of shepherd that takes care of you. And we have, we all have that need in the one true shepherd who is our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read our text today once through. I want to just read the first 10 verses with you this morning and we'll divide it into two sections. In fact, if you have a red letter Bible, you notice that everything um, is red except for verse 6. So that's going to be our dividing line today. So our first red letter section focuses on Jesus is the true shepherd of the sheep, followed by the second section, Jesus is the only door to the fold. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There our Lord is describing the Pharisees as false shepherds. They are thieves and robbers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. 
the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out when he has brought out all his own. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. But I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Pharisees are described here by our Lord Jesus Christ as thieves and robbers who come only to steal kill and destroy the sheep but Jesus as the true shepherd has come to give life and as I mentioned this kind of analogy really sort of stands on its own because it's so familiar to its audience they not only understood the agricultural reality of shepherding and certainly caring for a flock but they knew enough about the Old Testament to know that God himself was presented as the shepherd so they understood both the temporal earthly aspect of shepherding and but they also understood that this was a biblical illustration of God's protection for his own people. The life of a shepherd was certainly not an easy task. It was of course spent entirely outside against all of the elements both in the cold winter months and in the scorching Judean heat. Grass is sparse along the rocky Judean countryside and so the sheep would tend to wander off for greener pastures. There's certainly no protective walls out there on the plateaus and out onto the hillsides. Much of it is surrounded by steep cliffs and crevices in which the sheep could fall into. In fact, it's in some of these shallow little crevices that the shepherds called cast or cast down. As even their largest and strongest sheep might find one of those shallow crevices as a spot to lean up against and to rest and to maybe stretch out its legs a little bit and they can lose their center of gravity then thus rolling over far enough onto its back so that their feet then are unable to touch the ground. Sheep who aren't carefully cared for will wander off far enough that they become easy prey not only for animals but for thieves who are always looking for sheep to steal for both their wool and for their meat. A shepherd's task then was relentless, as he must pay constant attention to the dangers that were all around his flock. Every day for a shepherd was a long and grueling day. Constant diligence, fearless courage, patient love for his flock were the necessary characteristics of a good shepherd. And we see this in the lives of Abraham and Moses and David as they shepherd God's people. But the most well-known shepherd in the Old Testament was God himself. Psalm 77 verse 20 says, You led your people like a flock. Psalm 79 13 says, But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And what about Psalm 95, that amazing psalm of praise as the people said, saying, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We see that intimate personal shepherding here as they worship the Lord for being the sheep of his hand as he guides them along, that guiding hand into the fold of God. 
if you look down at your bulletin notes, I have uh, verses separated into two sections as our verses are focused on two different scenes. The first is verse 1 through 6, and if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. The first section is the village scene. The first six verses cover a sheepfold that would be located in a village and has a hired hand or a gatekeeper taking care of the flock. The second sheepfold that Jesus covers is in, in verses 7 through 10, and that is the countryside scene. The countryside. So as we go through this, we're going to identify that there are some differences between the two folds for the sheep. So let's look at the first section today. As Jesus is the true shepherd of his sheep. Jesus is the true shepherd of his sheep. In verse 1, Jesus starts off his teaching with the now just familiar, truly, truly, I say to you. Whatever Jesus is about to say is of major importance. He's saying, you Pharisees, listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. See that word there, sheepfold? Or if you have an NIV, it might say pen. Sheep pen? That's what he's talking about. It's a, it's a sheep pen or a sheepfold. Each village and shepherding regions of Palestine had a, had a fold or a pen where sheep were kept in the night. And as I said, we'll see two different types of pens split up into these verses. This is a communal pen. A communal pen that would be located somewhere down the, the middle of town. And if you were a shepherd and your uh, neighbor was a shepherd or maybe your friend was a shepherd, you would share in a communal pen and where your flock would go and it would be one common enclosure. And then this is how it would work. If you're coming in from the fields after a long day or in the evening, you would line up your sheep to enter into the sheepfold. Your rod would go down as the neck as the shepherd would inspect each and every sheep carefully making sure there were no open wounds or parasites that could infect the rest of the flock. And all of the shepherds did this, inspecting their sheep one by one by one into this communal sheepfold. We see this foreshadowed in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 37, when the Lord says to the people of Israel, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. A picture of the great shepherd of Israel, God himself, ins inspecting which sheep is clean and allowed to come into his fold. So after a long day, the shepherds bring their sheep into this uh, communal pen area. These weren't wealthy shepherds. Most, most of them certainly were not. They, they wouldn't have had thousands of sheep. But the ones who could afford it, they would then hire a porter. The shepherds would go to sleep after a long day in the fields. And you'll notice that down in verse 12, it refers to him as a hired hand. A hired hand. He's not a shepherd. He's a gatekeeper. Someone that the shepherd hires so that they can actually go and get some rest. He's the same guy that we see in verse 3. He is labeled in verse 3, the gatekeeper. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Now, the gatekeeper's job was obviously to guard the door and to watch the sheep. While the shepherds were inside and, and sleeping. Now, in the morning, when the sun would arise, the shepherds would reappear and they would call out to their sheep. Verses 2 and 3, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. So unlike the Pharisees, who are the thieves and the robbers, the true shepherd doesn't need to climb into the sheephold some other way. He doesn't have to sneak around the back or climb over the fence at night. The true shepherd enters by the door. And to him, the gatekeeper opens. 
so each of the shepherds would come by uh, one by one, and, and because they were the, the shepherds that the gatekeeper or the porter knew, he would allow the shepherd to take their flock then out into the countryside. Now, scholars differ on the identity of, of what the sheepfold uh, represents. Some will say it represents uh, heaven, but I disagree completely with that because we have thieves and robbers climbing over the wall in this story. I don't think you're going to have thieves and robbers climbing over any wall to get into heaven. You can't climb into heaven on your own, though some do try. There are others who say, well, this is a picture of the church. I don't agree with that either. <laughs> because here in this first section, the shepherd goes to lead his flock out of the fold. God doesn't lead anybody out of the body of Christ. So it can't be either of those. In its context, I think it's rather easy for us to see what he's referring to. The sheepfold, the, the sheepfold represents Israel. Israel. It's Israel. Or you could even say Judaism. The sheep are the Jewish people. The great shepherd, the true shepherd, comes to his fold, Israel. As the true Messiah, he calls his own sheep out of Judaism, out of their man-made religion. Think back to how chapter 9 ended. Pretend that there's no chapter break. Remember, this helps us incredibly. Jesus is speaking to the leaders of Israel. He says to them, for judgment I have come into the world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Then remember they ask, uh, we are not blind too, are we? And the whole conversation exposes, exposes just how blind they are to the signs of the Messiah. The Messiah has come. They won't even consider the fact that Jesus was fulfilling everything that the law and the prophets said that the Messiah would come and do. He would open blind eyes. A man born blind runs up to them and says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I can see. And they kicked the man out of the synagogue. <laughs> so now the time has come. The time has come. When those who have been blind will now be able to see. All right. And Jesus says something amazing about what this fold represents. Jump down to verse 16 for a moment, because it comes it comes rather clear who this fold is. Who is the fold? Jesus says in verse 16, and I have other sheep. Oh. That are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Wow. Jesus is speaking of other sheep not a part of this fold. It's clear he's speaking about these Gentiles. His first flock were the Jewish people. Now he must gather other sheep, people not a part of Judaism. The church will be birthed in Jerusalem, but the great Commission will send the good news of Jesus Christ all around the Gentile world. I must bring them also, the good shepherd says, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock also and one shepherd. What a beautiful verse. Now, the Pharisees were only the latest in a long line of unfaithful shepherds, false prophets, wicked kings, corrupt priests throughout the Old Testament. I, I want you to turn with me for a moment to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter four, 34, th this gives us a, a, a dramatic uh, picture. And, and this helps with the, the contrast of John chapter 9 and 10 between the false shepherds of Israel in our Lord's day and himself as the true shepherd. 
Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1, the prophet says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. See the Pharisees all over this. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own lands and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the country I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. What is he talking about? Well, certainly part of it pertains to our scripture here in John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. But there's also no doubt in my mind he's talking about a kingdom. The millennial kingdom that's still yet to come. But how's he going to do this? Jump down to verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now wait a minute. David lived long before this. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the son of David. He's talking about the Messiah. Messiah will become the one shepherd who will gather all of his people, not, not only from Israel, but from all countries and from all nations. And he will lead them into glory of the final kingdom. Just love these verses. What a picture. Verse 25, I'll make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate. Listen to this. This is obvious kingdom language. I will eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them in the places around my hill 
a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessings. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. When God, through the one shepherd, the the great shepherd, gathers all his people from every country, from every nation, from every tongue, and he will bring them all together into one fold. This prophecy in Ezekiel 34 is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He is the one true shepherd, the great shepherd of our Lord. So that's what this analogy is all all about. Thieves and robbers in contrast to the one true shepherd. So let's go back to to John chapter 10 again and and finish off verses 2 through 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. See, the true shepherd doesn't have to sneak in. He he just uses the front door. They're his sheep. (laughs) The gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd. And that's the point. Jesus came the right way. Because Jesus is the true shepherd. He's come down out of heaven. He's come fulfilling over 300 prophecies of who the Messiah, the shepherd of Israel is would be and what he has come to do he fits the messianic description of being the son of david born in bethlehem born of the royal line or as paul said in galatians 4 when the fullness of time has come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law as if to say he is the true shepherd of israel notice in verse 3 not only does he come the right way but he calls the right way he says and he calls his own sheep by name remember i said that in a communal sheepfold you'd have several different flocks that would all be mixed together so if you were to walk up to your fold there was no telling which sheep was yours could be a couple hundred sheep all running around in there but what the shepherd would do is he would come up to the sheepfold in the morning and he would maybe sing out a little something or he'd speak in a particular little voice that he used in calling a sheep um, now you know what that's like when you you call your dog you don't talk normal right get the come here boy get the come here you know that's right come get your daddy you know, whatever your voice is your dog recognizes your voice right am i right <laughs> so each shepherd has his own distinct pitch or, or tone and the sheep would recognize it as being his master that's my master that's my master's voice sheep might not be the brightest animals but they know the master's voice put that one in the bank and when jesus christ came to this earth many in israel did not hear him john chapter 1 verse 11 we've seen this verse repeated many times he came to his own and his own people did not receive him they received him not his own nation the jewish people did not recognize him, did not hear him. Now, that wasn't true of everyone. In verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So some, the true sheep, have been looking and were anticipating for the shepherd to come all along. Simeon was one. Uh, Anna was one. There there was, of course, Mary and Joseph and John the Baptist and Zacchaeus, a short little tax collector who was up there in the tree, uh, the Samaritan woman, um, the small little village in Sychar, um, the nobleman and his entire family as well. This blind man in the story. Next week, or a couple months probably by the time we get there, Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, uh, Mary, and Martha, chapter 11. And eventually the thief on the cross 
they all will recognize this is the voice of the Messiah. This is the one and place their faith in him. Look a little more closely at verse 3. About halfway through, Jesus says, and he calls his own sheep by what? By name. Did you know that shepherds used to have nicknames for individual sheep that were in their flock? See, the, the shepherd intimately knew his flock. He hung around them all day long. <laughs> he had to inspect them. He watched them. He smelt them. It was a very you know, personal and dirty job. So he got to know these idiosyncrasies and, and diverse personalities of each of the, of, of the sheep. And because of that, he would give them nicknames. So he might call one long nose or, or one black ear or one fluffy and one slowpoke. Because he knew them and he would call them by name. And all of this is to speak of the personal nature of shepherding a flock. Do you know that our great shepherd knows his sheep also by name? He knows their name because their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. He knows who we are. He knows every little spot and blemish on his sheep. In fact, I won't be surprised if he has a couple nicknames for us. The picture here is really quite stunning. The, the, the true shepherd has come to call the Jewish people out of Judaism, out of religion, to call Gentile uh, people out of the, the folds of false religion and of judgment from across the world. He knows who they are. He calls them by name. They know his voice. And he leads them out. There's some pretty deep theology Jesus is laying in here. Divine sovereignty. Irresistible grace. Effectual calling. It's all right here. So he comes the right way. He calls the right way. And then we see that he leads the right way. Look at verses 4 through 5. At the end of verse 3, Jesus says, and he leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. It's a picture of a shepherd leading his flock to safety. He's leading his flock out of one place into an another. Preparing this week, I, I read uh, in the Middle East, shepherds always, always go ahead of their flock. Now, out here in the West, we might use dogs to, to uh, push our flocks, sheep flocks. But in the Middle East, they always, the, the shepherd always leads, the, he's always ahead of them. They're not driving and pushing them somewhere. They, the shepherds are out in front. And... They go ahead, and so they, they go ahead to be alert for any potential dangers. The, the shepherd leads, making sure the trail is safe, and there's no cliffs or, or places that his sheep might get stuck in. He also leads his sheep into the best pastures that he's already um, scouted out for them. And so it is in salvation. Jesus savingly calls his sheep. He leads them out of the fold that they were in and takes them to greener pastures and quiet waters of God's truth and blessing. That's the thought behind Psalm 23. When David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There's a, a, a great point there for all of us. Learn to Trust the leading of the good shepherd. Learn to trust the leading of the good shepherd. If Jesus Christ is indeed your good shepherd in leading your life, then learn to trust him. Don't get out in front of him. Allow the good shepherd to lead you and the sheep will follow. We like to get out in front a lot. 
just another comment or two uh, about verse 5. A stranger they will follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Simple conclusion here. People who are loyal to false shepherds don't know the true shepherd. Once we're out, once he has drawn us out of the fold of sin and death and judgment, we follow. We cannot be swayed away. Cannot be swayed away. We will not listen to a stranger. We follow faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully. A stranger they will not follow. By the way, in verse 5, there's a double negative there, so it's better said, a stranger they absolutely will not follow, but will flee from him. Those who belong to God, those who belong to the true shepherd, they will hear his voice, they will follow him, they will not hear the voice of a stranger. Nothing can break the bond between the true shepherd and his true sheep. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one. Now, the <laughs> robber and thieves, of course, they, they couldn't understand this. In first uh, 6, uh, this is just a figure of speech. Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, now why did John include that? Well, I think it's simple. Let's remember again, back to John chapter 9, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees said, We are not blind too, are we? Well, John is now saying in effect, Uh-huh, you don't get it. You don't get it. So ingrained were their beliefs that they were children of Abraham, that they were Abraham's descendants, that they were already good, that they were already a part of God's flock, that they completely missed Jesus' indictment of him, which proves the, the whole point that their spiritual condition was in fact blinding. They were unable to see, unable to see. So that was our first scene. Our, our next scene shifts, and this is a lot quicker, so don't worry, I won't keep you here too much longer. The second scene shifts. Point number two, Jesus is the only door to the fold. So remember, the sheepfold scene now moves out into the countryside. So let's just scan through verses 7 through 10 again. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, again, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the scene has shifted. The camera pans from the village, now goes out onto a, a countryside hill somewhere. Okay? That's our fold. Our fold has moved. It, it's no longer uh, morning when the, when the shepherd comes to the hired hand and asks for his flock. It's probably midday now. So imagine midday when the flock is out in the pasture, out on the hills grazing. Now you probably notice something in our text. In the first part of this parable, Jesus has been called what? He's been called a shepherd. It says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. But in verse 7 through 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Huh? So it would seem as if Jesus is mixing his metaphors. First he's saying, I am the shepherd. But now he's saying, I am the door. Now, what I want to show you is that it's not mixing the metaphors. A shepherd is, in fact, a door. Let me explain. Remember I said that these are two different types of sheepfolds, two different types of pens for the sheep. There's the communal pen that's in the village, and then there's one that's out there on the countryside. And, of course, there are 
differences between them. The village fold, for example, would have higher walls. Um, they were a little more secure. Um, wait, don't look at that yet. Still, I'm, I'm keeping you in the village. We're in the village, the part we already covered. They're going to have higher walls. They're going to be a little more secure. They had the white wide gate that, that opened um, so it could be locked at night. There was a hired man, a gatekeeper, out in front who watched over the sheep. But out onto the countryside, sheepfold looks more like this. This is actually a pretty nice one. Um, a little more primitive than those in the village. Yes, they had walls, but they weren't very tall. Often just tall enough to keep a sheep in. <laughs> and uh, there was an opening, but no gate, no door there. So if a shepherd was traveling and they needed to rest, um, the shepherd would, would, would lead his flock into one of these folds, and he would lay down there in the opening in order to safely guard his sheep. So you see, the good shepherd is also the door. No one could enter or leave except through him. This John 14, 6 metaphor is going to come up again for you. But in Jesus' metaphor, he is the door through which the sheep enter the safety of God's fold. And they go out into the rich pasture of his blessing. This is what verse 9 describes. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It is only through him that lost sinners can approach the, the heavenly father and appropriate the salvation that Jesus Christ provides. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved. Jesus Christ is the door of salvation. Now, how many openings did that sheepfold have? one right he didn't say uh, i am one of many doors he says i am the door no one gets in the enclosure unless he comes through me i am the good shepherd i am the door so it's really a perfect uh application of what jesus has always taught in the gospel of john the narrow way the exclusiveness of jesus christ or as Kate and Chuck have mentioned, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why he says in verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Look again at the end of verse 9. After he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then notice, and will go in and out and find pasture. That's a, that's a metaphor for contentment, for uh, provision. Uh, the good shepherd freely always having access to, to, to God's protection and liberty and, and never fearing any harm or danger in going in and out and, and, and finding pasture. Now, if you're a sheep, there's a secret to being a happy one, a joyous one. If you don't want to be happy, um, just sort of stand at a distance from your shepherd. It's a good day to ruin your joy. Just wander around as a sheep for a little bit. But if you really want to have that full, authentic joy of a sheep and its shepherd, safety is directly proportional to proximity. Safety is directly proportional to proximity. The closer you live to the shepherd, the more you are nourished and cared for by him. The contrast ends in verse 10, and it couldn't be more of a stark difference. The thief. These are false shepherds come only to steal and to kill and destroy. They come working in the power of Satan. But Jesus says, I have come 
that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ is the door to everlasting satisfaction. He says to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In comparison, there is the thief who comes only to steal your joy, kill your hope, and to destroy your testimony. If he can't have your soul, he wants to ruin you and render you fruitless. He wants to smear and destroy your testimony. But Jesus has come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Or literally that you might have it to the, the brim. To the supermax. To the, to the abundance. I wonder if that describes your life in God's flock. Does abundant life describe you? Notice he says, I come that they may have life. And that's that word zoe again in the Greek. It speaks of your life in Christ both now and in the future. For, for now, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. In Christ, you have been born again. You have been uh, come a new creation in Christ. And in the future, well, all you have waiting for you is eternal life with your Savior. <laughs> I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. So be encouraged flock. Be encouraged. That your good shepherd takes care of you. The, the Lord knows his sheep. He's chosen them. He's named them. The one true shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ possesses full authority. To come into his world. And to call his sheep out of darkness. He calls them out of the world. And he calls them to himself. Calls them by name, and they will follow. They will not follow anyone else. He goes before them. He provides all that they need, and to give them complete protection, he leads them from the fold of the world into the blessings of salvation. Not only in this age, but more importantly, in the age to come, in the eternal kingdom of God. Has he called you by name? Do you seek after the good shepherd? If not, I beg for you to cry out for him. Ask him today to be your true and trusted good shepherd. Do you need prayers for the church this morning? We'd love to pray with you. Everyone else, I'd invite you to please stand as we sing the song of invitation.